Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Bobby Carpenter joins the show in 20 minutes. I'll kick 360 rolls on. Hour number two. Happy Friday to you. Ready to get you ready for the college football weekend. Bobby does that in 20 minutes. We will talk NFL headlines as well later in the show, plus preview Titans and Saints, Vols and Georgia, and much, much more. Grant Furking, Vols wide receiver, joins us in about 45 minutes. Uh, big college football weekend, plenty of solid games. Uh, one of those weekends, much like a couple of weeks ago, where Chad had to really think about how to stack his top 10 games of the week, like who didn't make the cut at 11. This is... This is one of those instances where um, if we had a 12-team playoff, we'd be talking about the 13th team being left out in a really good college football year. That's the type of matchups we have this weekend, Chad. Yeah, he we told just, us the, li- the 11th game, right? He yeah, as well as North the, game, the game last night, uh, which was a, an overtime and great game. Yeah. So probably should have been in my top 10. Um, good job. We just talked to Ross and Marshall Thurber, who talks a lot about process as a, as a film director, right? My process for putting together these top 10 games, sometimes it's... <laughs> Difficult to find 10. Other times, it's difficult to go from 15 to 10. This was a week where it was easy to find the 10 and difficult to order the 10. So it's getting there, a set there's going to be some debate about you yeah. know, where yeah. things should be uh, located on this list. Chad, tell us what to watch. Game number 10 this week. We're going to Purdue at Iowa State. I mentioned earlier, this game actually has Ohio's. a bigger point spread than Tennessee-Georgia, 21 and a half. Purdue, can they play giant killer again? Jeff Brom has a tendency of doing these things. They are at Ohio State, that game 3.30 Eastern time on ABC. Game number nine, This is I gave it a slight bump up again yeah. because the point spread's a little bit closer, but I can't put them in the top five. Georgia at Tennessee, I think it's going to be a blowout, uh, especially with Tennessee's injury problems, but Georgia hasn't really seen an offense like Tennessee, so can Tennessee... Get some splash plays, score some points on Georgia where no one else has. That's the big question going into it. And what we've been saying, Chad, can they make this Georgia offense play in a tight game just for a a, a bit? Even in the third quarter. You know, if this thing could be tight in the second half and put some pressure on Stetson Bennett, a big question mark. It's going to be a great atmosphere. What about special teams? Can they play an impact in this? Tennessee blocked a punt against Pitt that set up a touchdown. Blocked a punt against Alabama. Mm-hmm. Should have set up a touchdown. Should ended up kicking a field goal. So they have come up with some big special teams plays. Here's the other thing. If it's not in the end zone, I don't know why Tennessee doesn't run everyone back. Valus mm-hmm. Jones is very good. His hit percentage on 30-plus yard returns when he actually returns it is very good. So and Tennessee should should do something in special teams. One of the game. highlights of the season was that blocked punt where they saw something on film and then executed it p- to perfection against Pitt. Yeah, yeah and they, they told the TV crew that they're going to block a punt. They, yeah, probably they, the first one, they're yeah. going to go for it and yeah. probably block it, which was uh, refreshing if you're a Tennessee fan to hear that level of, of film work and preparation. My vote for the, for the most likely upset of the weekend, if we're just picking them, 
is at number eight for you. Number eight. I'm with you, Hutton. Michigan at Penn State. Penn State's got a great shot in this game. I'm still not a full believer in Michigan, even with the great record. That game is noon on ABC, noon Eastern time. Game number seven, this is one that, you know, go back 15, 20 years, no-brainer number one game of the week. And there's still a lot of intrigue with this game. Miami at Florida State. Miami quietly, after having a very unlucky start to the season with some unfortunate things happening in games, the uh, the game against Virginia with the missed field goal, I think off the upright yeah. in that game comes to mind. Miami has quietly put together a nice little run. About to get bowl eligible. Mandy Diaz saving his job. Florida State, same thing. 0-4 yeah. start. They've been much better since. Big rivalry game, 3.30 on ESPN Miami at Florida State. Minnesota at Iowa. Minnesota <laughs> was in position to win the Big Ten West, and they fell flat on their face in a 14-6 loss to Illinois last week. Iowa knows a thing or two about falling flat on their face yes. after an undefeated yep. start and getting in uh, to number two in the rankings, and now they host Minnesota. There's a, a four teams right now with a chance at winning the Big Ten West. These are two of them. That is game number six. All right, top five. You guys ready? Yes, please. Is Jacob Swanson ready also? He is. Jacob Swanson is born ready. Let's go to the ACC, game number five. NC State at Wake Forest. This is number 16 versus number 17 in the country. It's weird that every week, seemingly we have a game that's on the ACC network that's in the top 10. I don't know what's going on with the, the ACC network's network. really coming on. I don't know how popular the <laughs> ACC network is. It's not very popular. But they're getting some really good games. I'm not even sure how many people can watch ACC network. But either way, you might want to watch that one, 730 Eastern NC State at Wake Forest. Game number four, this is a great one. Notre Dame at Virginia, yep. uh, 730 on ABC. Notre Dame quietly, one loss to Cincinnati, sitting there at number nine in the country. Virginia has got a do-it-all quarterback in Brennan Armstrong. I really like this matchup. Number four game of the week, Notre Dame at Virginia. Then we're going to get SEC heavy in the top three. Mississippi State at Auburn. Every time we start to believe in Auburn, they score three points against yeah. A&M. Or, and Bo Nix. You can say Bo <laughs> Some, Nix. Something happens where, oh, okay, maybe they're just not that good. And then they'll do a few things two, three weeks in a row. They look great. They were not good last week. Mississippi State, Will Rogers has sort of quietly become the prototypical Mike Leach quarterback. 75% completion percentage. Accurate. Yeah. Hits the crossers. Knows where to go with it. Having a very good season. Mississippi State quietly having a very good season also. Mm. Not a great week for them last week, but still had a chance up late against Arkansas to get the win on the road. They don't get it done. Kicking issues there with Mississippi State. I think they had an open tryout this week for kicker. Also had some problems last week, which this, is always fun. Uh, on, on tomorrow, spoiler alert, I'm going to take Auburn because I expect Bo Nix to bounce back after a poor performance. That's generally what has happened here on a seesaw season for him. Um, he has burned me, and he has made me look great. I'm taking Bo Nix and Auburn tomorrow at home. And, Hun, you mentioned it yesterday, I think, but matchup to watch Derek Mason, yeah. defensive coordinator, versus Mike Leach's offense in this game is one to watch. I'm with you. I, I like Auburn in this game. Uh, but Mississippi State's had a nice season. They, yep. And not many, not many people yeah. are talking about Mississippi State. Nice but bounce back. Mike Leach pretty quickly in year two at least has it going with a quarterback that knows how to run his offense, and, and they're doing what, what he wants. Game number two. 
this starts the stretch of Oklahoma and finding out what they are. Mm-hmm. They are undefeated right now, and they are disrespected based on the college football playoff rankings because they're sitting there at number eight in the rankings as an undefeated team. They can start to change that this week at Baylor. Baylor has been very hit or miss this season, but at their best, they are very capable of beating Oklahoma at home. That game is the big noon kickoff game on Fox, 12 p.m. Eastern time. And game number one, this is, to me, the classic matchup of different styles. A&M at Ole Miss. A&M, they are fully formed now after two early losses into what they are, and that is an SEC West team from 1995. They want to play great defense. They want to have Zach Calzada not beat them. They want to run the football. They are not a very good offensive team, but they are great on defense. Ole Miss, not a very good defensive team and great on offense with Matt Corral doing a little bit of everything. Texas A&M at Ole Miss. That is the 7 p.m. Eastern ESPN kickoff. Really looking forward to watching that game. And I said it yesterday, much like Tennessee-Kentucky last week, guys, I think this is important for both teams. If Ole Miss is going to claim a special season with a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback that's gone after this year, they need to win a game like this against A&M, and they continue to have that special season. This is game day, right? And for A&M, I believe so. I think so. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, you're right. It's in Oxford. So then for A&M, it's are you, have you completely come back from that rough start of the season? Winning a game like this on the road, I think, proves that they've done that. And then Have so. you seen the spread on that? If not, I'm curious if you'd guess it. I love guess the spread. I, I think it's um, I say I think it's A and M minus four and a half. A and M favored by like a field goal probably. Yeah, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half now. And it, you know what? Props to both of these quarterbacks, Corral and Calzada. It will take a body cast to get them off the field in this game. I, I respect the crap out of that uh, in today's football. Like the mantra of you know you hurt your hand and you're out. These guys are Tough. full steam ahead, shoulder first. And when you see them in person, you're not thinking they're anything, you know, that uh, they're going to be some physical, yeah, they're not physically crazy imposing. player, right? But the way they just, they have no regard for safety. And uh, what I, I don't mean that in concussion sense. I mean that like they're, they're not worried about the next play. They're getting every single inch that they can. I love that when they run the football. Yeah, it's... I love uh, watching both of them. Calzada has I, won I, me over with just by the Alabama performance with the, the moxie that he had in that performance. He hasn't been great since, but he has the opportunity to step up again in prime time. This is this is the, you're right, Chad, this is the game day game because Fowler and Herbstreet are on the call for this on ESPN. Yeah, so um, I read the article earlier this year on Matt Corral, and this, this, it all makes sense now, but he started out as a linebacker when he started playing uh. youth football, and he refused to go play quarterback because he loved the physicality of hitting people and playing linebacker, and ever since I read that, I watch him and watch his game and think, yeah, this guy likes the contact. Like, he is not afraid. Have you seen The way he plays the game and the hits he takes yeah. and the, the, the hits that he will give someone, and he's not a big guy, but the way he plays the game, he plays like an undersized linebacker at quarterback. Have you seen who his most frequent comp is, like uh, in terms of draft talk? No. Blake Bettingfield, the former NFL scout, offered it here, and I've seen it two other places. It surprised me a little bit. Uh, Zach Wills? Really? I can see some of that. I mean, I, I see him even Deshaun Watson Yeah, a little bit, the way he plays. I think he's better than Zach Wilson. 
Personally, yeah, they said. Uh, I mean, I think a, watching a him. And, I mean, Zach, and I watched. Version of Zach I watched a lot of Zach Wilson in college too. I, I would take Matt Corral over Zach Wilson, and he's a better runner. They, than, they said than Zach they Wilson. all say a better a better version of Zach. But that's Wilson. a that's a good. Comp. I know, I know, and I also don't think he's as good as Deshaun Watson. <laughs> so it's kind of somewhere in the middle. If I'm looking at a comp, Deshaun Watson would be the best that he could be as a quarterback. Zach Wilson's probably the floor to me of what he's going to be as a quarterback. I know Thibodeau is the number one pick, the pass rusher from Oregon, but is is that Corral, on who's is got Corral the number one pick if he's a better version of Zach Wilson? Uh, for a quarterback needy team, who's, uh, quarterback's who's going first? number one, and uh, I, I think he's, the, to me, seems like the number one quarterback. Right now, the Lions, right now Detroit. Yeah, the Lions are going to need to draft a quarterback, in my opinion. I mean, I mean Jared no, Goff is not the future of quarterback. For the this. only thing you're factoring in here is it's an odd offseason ahead because Rodgers and Watson are out there. And neither want to play for Detroit. No. <laughs> you, know, you know what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. You draft the guy to Detroit because no one's signing with you. you or probably, you trade for him. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, Jared Goff. Uh, the, uh, the other thing about that matchup, A&M Ole Miss, that just stands out to me, the – Contrast in coaching style between the two head coaches. Kiffin's going to go for it on fourth down. Jimbo Fisher rarely does. Jimbo Fisher tied for the least amount of fourth down tries in the in the country. Very not modern. The SEC. Very modern. He's gone for two. I think he's gone for two fourth downs all year. Probably it's something ridiculous. And one of them was probably he was forced into it against Bama. Yeah, he's Jimbo Fisher. Very old school in a lot of ways, but. He even was asked about it and said, I don't believe... No, he didn't, he didn't say I don't believe in the analytics behind it. He said, I just think it's more of a coaching feel thing. You just know. I, I don't want to be... He never has to feel. I don't want to be a slave to an analytics book of when to go for it on fourth down. It needs to be... I, I know we need to go for it right here and right. go for it. But that's, and I agree that's with fine, him. But he I, never I, has yeah. the feel. That's yeah, the weird... I, I think, I it's think, a feel thing, and I never have the feel. Kiffin's a little too much for me when it comes to that, of just, well, on the sheet here, it says to go for it on this fourth and eight yeah. right now instead of kicking the field goal. I don't. At least he's consistent. I don't abide by that. Well, the problem is... The you, dude abides. It's that guy... It's, it's like the high school coach who's now the college coach. I can't remember where he went, but it's Division three. He's at uh, the Blue oh, he's a Presbyterian. The Blue Host. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, we need to check on his record. Um, we need to get him on the show. The for an hour. He told me that if he got one onside kick, like his in a game, one it's worth it. It's it's totally worth it based on the percentage chance that based on how fast his offense could score, he would be able to, you know, grab the lead nine times out of ten just by getting one onside kick. And he gained now, the whole thing. Kiffin's out. not doing that. But he's the closest thing to it with the fourth down tries. And that's, that's his idea, too. He's thinking, look, our defense is so bad, it doesn't matter if we punch you inside the five because our defense is going to allow the long drive. So might as well go ahead and score while we have the football. If we, don't, if we give it up to you, you're going to score anyway. We're going to get the football back and go get it See, here's again. my question. Presbyterian, two and six on the season. Their wins, though, were 84 to 43. 68 to 3. They've also lost, get this, 72 to nothing, 63 to 43, 70 Ooh. to 35, 69 to 28, 56 to 14, 65 55. See, but if those you, are their scores. If you lived near wow. there, you would go watch them. And previously, there was no chance That's in right. hell you would go watch them. 
See, that, that to uh, me is, I want total chaos, thing. and for some Power 5, low-level Power 5 school <laughs> to, to hire this guy Vanderbilt. and just go all in Vanderbilt. on it. Can you imagine if Vandy started doing that? But here's my question. <laughs> I mean, I would love it, right? It would be incredible to watch. Here's my question about Kiffin. Is Kiffin's mindset, I've got to recruit like crazy on defense and get better, so I don't need to do this? Or is he a little bit like this guy where like he doesn't care so much? Like, yeah, I need to tinker with the defense yeah. to get better to a certain degree. But my mindset is we're going to be an offensive football team. We're going to go for it on fourth. We're not going to punt it to the five-yard line too often, yada, yada. I, I wanna know, I'd love to I, hear I him talk I think Kiffin just to wants to win. Like, I think that he'll play to his strength. He's a good enough coach to know if he's got a great defense. I remember 2009 at Tennessee, there were plenty of games where the offense was doing nothing, and he was relying on a good defense led by Eric Berry at the time. And Dan Williams. Right, and he, now, knew to, he knew to rely on the defense at times. I think he'll... But now that this is what he has, this is the, well, where this he's year, starting. Well, this is what he this has. This is where he's starting from. Right. Where does he go from it's here? It's a little but, I mean, better. wildly entertaining. I could also see him not having a great quarterback after Matt Corral and relying more on the defense in games at times. It's wildly entertaining. See, that's where I think the transfer portal can really help Ole Miss next year. Like, if they go all in there, yeah, you can turn it around fast. It's not a couple of years. It's not, I need two or three recruiting classes. Bobby Carpenter knows a thing or two about defense and college football in general. He's the co-host tomorrow for Outkick the Tailgate. And when we come back, he'll join us to chat about the college football weekend. That's next on Outkick 360. Tomorrow morning, Outkick the Tailgate, presented by Farm Folio. We are live at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 o'clock Central, right here on the Outkick Network. Myself, Jill Savage, normally Chad Withrow, but in for Chad tomorrow, our guest co-host, our next guest on Outkick 360. Bobby Carpenter from Outkick.com joins us. Bobby, looking forward to having you tomorrow morning in Knoxville, man. Um, Thanks, man. I'm really excited to get down there. Uh, It'll be my first time. I had a game in Rocky Top. I've been to Knoxville, played with Jason Witten. Him and his wife are volunteers. They're huge advocates of it. Tell me about the Tennessee Navy and everything on the river, how great Neyland Stadium is. So I'm super excited to finally get a chance to go down there and kind of experience it. What I think is going to be a pretty great environment, even though I think the spread is fairly large on this game. Um, I like what Tennessee is able to do, and I think that they'll be able to challenge Georgia in maybe some unique ways that they haven't been challenged yet this year. Well, you guys are going to be uh, right there with the Vol Navy at Calhoun's also. So the backdrop will be it'll, be, it'll be a chilly morning. The backdrop will be the river and the bluff on the other side of the river, and you're going to see all the boats uh, pulling up for the Vol Navy. So it'll be a really cool sight. And Bobby, please do a good job tomorrow, but not too good of a job uh, for my purposes. Okay, I'd, I'd like to continue on with this show. So just do an okay job, if you would. Well, don't worry about it. I've got a pretty grand entrance plan. I know it's going to be a little chilly, but... You know, it gets cooler up here in Ohio. I've got a nice jet ski rental. I'm going to trailer down there. I'm going to drop that thing in. Come riding in on that thing like Kenny Powers. Full suit. Just slide right up. Hit the tailgate and be ready to go. I thought, I thought shirtless. Uh, I thought surely shirtless. Yeah. With, the, with the song playing, the back that is, he rolls up in slow-mo. And you're, 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 you're spinning it out and hitting people with water on your way in. Absolutely. Hey, I'll, I'll be Ashley Schaefer for that. For that <laughs> I want to commend you because last week I asked you who could screw up the, the Big Ten having all, all the great permutations down the road with the rivalries, and you said Purdue, and uh, lo and behold, I should have put money on it. Lo and behold, <laughs> but Purdue did exactly what you said you thought they could do. So you nailed that one. Good job. Can they do it again? 
Oh, goodness. Uh, if you go back and look at Purdue's history with Ohio State since 2000, I mean, Ohio State has struggled with them. You know, it hasn't really been Michigan, hasn't been, you know, Michigan State, even though they've got some of the big wins historically that people will look at. Uh, they've had some problems with Wisconsin, a little bit with Iowa, but it's been this Purdue team. And I think it's the style of football that they play. You know, I talked a little bit about Tennessee and, and Georgia. Whenever you have an offense that can score a lot of points, if you don't find a way to slow that down, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to feel like you're chasing, you get impatient, you're going to start pressing, and then that's only going to compound some issues. So you know, if you look at Purdue with Aiden O'Connell, our quarterback, you know, when he turns the football over like he did against Wisconsin, they've got some issues. But if you look at what he did against Michigan State, if you look at what he did against Iowa, two top five teams at the time or top 10 teams, whatever the heck they were, you know, they were able to push the ball down the field. They're able to get David Bell going. You know, they don't, they'll run it just enough to keep you honest. They're not a great running football team, but Jeff Brom understands that if you're if we don't ever run the football, it's just going to be a pass rush fest. So he does a good job of that. And he's really one of the great coaches that you're going to find at being able to scheme play. So the number, I believe, it's it's been hovering around three touchdowns. I, I don't like that. I, if Ohio State wins this thing by 14 points, I'll feel good about it. Ohio State struggled a little bit the last two weeks in the red zone and crossing the 50 with being able to score against Nebraska and Penn State. Purdue is as offensively talented as they are. They're pretty darn good on defense, too. They find a way to get opportune stops. They can get a good pass, pass rush when they need to. They're pretty solid against the run, even though their numbers don't really show it. You know, they played Michigan, uh, Michigan State, Iowa, Ohio, or uh, Wisconsin, like teams that love to run the football. And it's actually Sands, Michigan, but those teams love to run the football. And they've done a pretty good job holding up against them. So this is going to be a big challenge. For Ohio State, the one thing that you know that they've seen is C.J. Stroud. You know, he, last year when he came in, he had a nice long touchdown run against Ohio State. Now they're used to having you know the uh, J.T. Barrett here for four years, who loved to run the football under Urban Meyer's offense, which the zone read quarterback power was a big part of it. And Dwayne Haskins for a year, who was really just a, a huge pocket passer, didn't really want to run. And then Justin Fields, who can throw the ball from the pocket and didn't want to run but is a phenomenal athlete. And so when it was there in big games, he took it. And that's the one thing I think, you know, Buckeye Nation, Ohio State fans were hoping for is that when C.J. Stroud sees an opportunity to go get eight or nine yards, pick up five yards on a second and 10, you don't even have to get hit. Take the slide, get down, but set yourself up for a more manageable situation. So that's something I'm going to be monitoring here, you know, with Purdue because they run a ton of plays. I mean, they're, they're running 80, 90, 100 plays close to in, in the game. And so, you want to stay on the field. You want to make sure you can dictate tempo. And in doing that means you have to pick up first downs. And sometimes you have to do it in an ugly way. Bobby, I've long been a fan of, of Jeff Brom and the job he's done at, at Purdue. I, I'm curious about this. You look at Mark Stoops at Kentucky, and there's an argument to be made that he should stay there for as long as he's a coach because the expectations are in line with what he built, and he can make a lot of money and never need to quote-unquote move up to another job. Has Jeff Brom reached that territory at Purdue? What are the expectations at that program? And could you see him possibly being a lifer at Purdue, like of a Pat Fitzgerald? I know Pat Fitzgerald is, a, is an alum of Northwestern or like maybe a Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Is that that comfort fit with Brom and Purdue, or do you think he eventually moves on? You know, the irony of that is he was kind of on the hot seat coming into this year. I mean, he had the, you know, the, the great upset of Ohio State, four years ago with Rondale Moore. 
and they felt like they had a lot of momentum building. And when you get that, you have to you know capitalize on recruiting, bring, bring those big-time elite players in. And they've got some pretty good receivers, but if you look the last couple of years, they've kind of underperformed, and you would have expected them to maybe make a Big Ten championship game or get something else done. And they're paying Brahm a lot of money at Purdue by Purdue standards. It's a basketball school similar to Kentucky, but they made a big investment in him. They're starting to upgrade facilities, which – their facilities were some of the worst in the country for a power five program in one of the two major conferences where the TV deals, I mean, they're, they're printing, you know, 50, $60 million at these schools. There's, there's no reason why you don't have premier football facilities. And so they're getting that done. And I felt like he was, it was getting a little hot this year, but now he's got these two big signature wins. They're tied in the West. They have a chance to potentially go uh, to the, uh, to the big 10 championship for the first time since he's been there. And then also, you know, with that, he had a chance a couple of years ago to go to Louisville. I think people thought that he might go back. That's more of home for him. He got a big he race. turned it down to stay for two. Yeah. Yeah. And they give him a big race. Purdue stepped up. And I think I was someone who thought, you know what? Even if it's less money, he might still go to Louisville because I understand the allure of home and what that can ultimately be. But he chose to stay there. And so I think if he has another success here in the next couple of years and doesn't choose to leave, then I think he is that lifer because he already had one opportunity. If you get another bump to go to a place that maybe you're alma mater or maybe another big time job and you stay there and you start getting eight, nine years at a place, all of a sudden then it's like you're comfortable. The expectations align with um, what their, what their history is and what they're spending. And you can win eight or nine games, 10 games, you knock off some teams. That's great. We're going to celebrate you. But in a year, you go six and six. We're also not beating down the door trying to fire you. Michigan at Penn State. This game's basically a pick em, Bobby. What, what do you like about the matchup? What do you think happens? This is another one of those weird paradigms that we've had in college football this year where you have a team that's ranked in the top 10 versus playing a team who isn't ranked at all. And so you think, okay, this is going to be a line not all that different to Purdue, Ohio State. Three touchdowns, you know, maybe 17 points, worst case, 14. And maybe Michigan's favorite, it's kind of oscillated back and forth, but it's been about a pick of maybe a point here and there. I think it comes down to the fact Michigan has a good secondary, but Sean Clifford, when he's healthy, you know, when you go back to the first half of that Iowa game and you saw how they were up, you know, 14 points, you know, he was beat up, you know, obviously against Illinois, didn't look good, looked a little better against Ohio State, but finally appears to have found himself last week against Maryland. You know, they've got pretty elite receivers. You know, Jahan Dotson, I think, is going to be a first-round pick. He's another guy that's rolled up 200 yards in a game receiving, which is very, very difficult in college football. So he's been able to do that. And so they can challenge that Michigan secondary. They can make some of those big plays. I think they might be able to get out in front of them and, and maybe dictate the game a little bit like Michigan State did and make it a big play fast. Because we know Jim Harbaugh, you know, he wants to slow it down. He wants to pound the football with his two running backs, play really good defense, They've been able to get after the quarterback pretty reliably. And their passing game is starting to come along. I feel like Cade McNamara is in a spot where you can ask him to make a play. You might even be asking him to go make a drive and win you a game. And he can definitely hit the play-action shots over the top. When they throw the football, they're pushing it down the field and in a big way. And so they've had those big plays, but it's at it's in Happy Valley. It's a big game. You know, and I was coming out of Penn State or at Ohio State, there are big games for Penn State and Michigan. Like those were the three teams with Ohio State in there that kind of ruled the Big Ten. And there weren't divisions, and you played almost every year, and it went back and forth. And this is going to have the feel of a heavyweight fight. Even though Penn State's sitting there at six and three, you look at some of their losses outside of that Illinois game, 
They've played good football. Heck, they beat Auburn. They're confident. They're at home. I like Michigan to win this, but I think the line is pretty accurate in this because I think it's going to probably come down to a field goal either way. Bobby Carpenter, our guest, you can read his work and watch uh, on YouTube. Just search out OutKick and OutKick.com. Try not to let these college football playoff standings mean anything, have any bearing. Know that the only ones that matter are the last ones. But how is it that Oregon's win over Ohio State trumps everything, and that's early in the season, and then Michigan State's win over Michigan recent doesn't mean anything? Yeah, it's it's a very perplexing thing, and I wish when Gary Barta would get up there and he'd start talking. But first of all, let me preface this. This is what everybody wanted. Remember when we had the computer system? And we had the BCS and everyone just complained and said, computers don't watch football. Let me watch it with my eyes and let me see exactly what is on the field. Because I know, I know as a fan, I know as a coach, I know as an alumnus, who the best teams are. And so we all wanted to get to the system where there was a level of subjectivity. Well, now we want to sit here and say, well, since it's human beings and they have biases and they don't know what they're talking about, and this person doesn't like this team or they don't like this conference. So we asked for it and we got it. And now we're unhappy with it. And so, first of all, let's, let's all take a minute and understand that. But I wish Gary Barta would just come out and say, because they, they pick different metrics for every reason why. They don't sit here and you know put it together and say, well, this is the clear-cut path of what we choose, and that's why the rankings are what they are. Sometimes it's strength of schedule. Sometimes it's game control. Sometimes it's head-to-head. And that's why you get this. I wish you would, Gary Barta would just come out and say, we just think this team is better. I know we watched him play. But you know what? There was a fumble that Big Ten came out said that shouldn't have been a fumble. It was a close game. Michigan State comes storming back from 16. All right, we think Michigan's still the better team. If they play eight time, ten times, you know, Michigan probably wins seven or eight of them. I mean, just, just say that. Instead of trying to backfill it with all this other stuff, because like you said, you have the inconsistencies there when it starts to come down to Oregon and Ohio State, who played a long time ago, and both teams look to be kind of trending in different directions. Like what I would like to see, if we're going to do this committee thing and do it right, get people on there, pay them, compensate them well. Extra round of the playoffs is going to add like $300, $400 million. So you know what? Pay 15, 16, however many people on the committee, pay them a quarter of a million dollars a year, fly them down to Dallas, video the entire thing, stream that thing so everybody can see everybody's opinions. And you know what? Carpenter, he values this. He values that. Well, whoever else is in there, they may value head-to-head, or they think this conference is better. So at least you know where everybody stands. And it's not this black box that just spits out the receipts, and you sit here and look at it, like, wow, didn't realize I spent that much, and wow, here's the why are they here, why are they there? And then Gary Barta has to go up there and basically defend everybody else's decision-making when no one really knows why it's that way anyway. So Bobby, file this under the I have no clue what's going to happen when these two teams get together on Saturday department. Minnesota and Iowa – and for that matter, that cluster in the Big Ten West right now with the four teams vying for the Big Ten West title. And as odd as it sounds, Wisconsin, after the tough start, I think you got to almost make them the favorite right now to come out of the West. But what do you think about that game and what eventually happens in that division? Yeah, it's crazy. You have Iowa, you know, Wisconsin, you have Purdue, and Minnesota. And everyone thought presumptively it would be Iowa at the beginning or Wisconsin at the beginning of the season. And they got caught up in being a victim of their own expectations and the, and the fans' expectations, the nation's expectations of how good they were supposed to be, be a top-10 team. And the reality is 
they were working through some things. Their offensive line needed to get better. Defensively, they were still good. Graham Mertz, their quarterback, was struggling a lot. They couldn't really develop a rhythm on offense and run the football. They're playing the best football of anybody in the West right now. I thought it was going to be Minnesota. They were in the driver's seat. They were a two-loss team with an awful loss to Bowling Green, but they also had a loss to Ohio State, which no one's going to make anything about. And you know they were in the driver's seat that if they won out, they were controlling their own destiny. And then last week, they go and let Illinois score two possessions to open the game, and they can't muster more than a touchdown in the second half. Like It was an awful offensive game. It set football backwards 10 years. And so I'm with you. I think it's Wisconsin's to lose. But in this game, as you sit here, Minnesota versus Iowa, I think Iowa's a good team. I think Minnesota's a pretty good team. Don't don't sit here and, and try to think that there's going to be more than probably 30 points scored. I mean, if this game's 17-13, I might be surprised. They're both going to play defense. They're going to play conservative, and they're going to try to run the football. And whoever makes the least turnovers wins. It's in Iowa City, so I would favor Iowa. I think they're favored by about four, four and a half, somewhere in there. I think that they'll cover that, but I don't real feel really good about any of it. Bobby, I actually like what Nebraska did uh, with, with Scott Frost. You know, it clears it up for this. The, the questions from this recruiting class on whether or not he's going to be back, that, that question is now answered. He's back next year. He's betting on himself, Scott Frost is. It's very similar to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. Jim Harbaugh does not have an agent. Scott Frost does. I'm sure Scott Frost's agent hates this. But these are prideful people at their alma maters, and they don't want to be seen as a failure at their alma mater, so they're willing to do whatever it takes to be a success. What do you think about this decision from Nebraska and Frost? What do you think about the future of Nebraska football under Frost? It's amazing, the parallel that you bring there with Jim Harbaugh. Both of these guys, quarterbacks at their universities, presided over some great times, had some big plays, and they were supposed to be the triumphant return of the king, the heroes coming back to their alma mater to solve their pro- program's problems. And you know, Mich- Michigan's had some success under Harbaugh. They just haven't beat Ohio State. Scott Frost hasn't made a bowl game. They haven't seen those expectations. And both of those guys are getting paid a lot, took salary reductions. They've been spinning through offensive and defensive coordinators, more so off uh, of both sides at Michigan. You know, S- Scott Frost in Nebraska, they got a darn good defense. Like, they don't need to mess a whole lot with that. I like it, though, because – People always want to make change just for change's sake. And as I look at Scott Frost at Nebraska, if you fire him, he was the hottest coaching candidate when you hired him. You were lucky to get him, and people forget that. Who else are you going to get? Who wants to come in there? You're going to have to overpay for somebody, and I don't know if they'll be able to do a better job. If you look at Nebraska's losses this year, they're all within a touchdown outside of Ohio State. And heck, if they recover that fumble at the end of the game, they may be running in to take a one-point lead after an extra point. They're close. They have to find a way to play better situational football. They need to recruit a little bit better, but the guys are still playing hard. You see Scott Frost still has the program, and if you fire him, I don't know where you're going to go from here. And Michigan was spinning through that for a while, and that's why they've kind of been content with Harbaugh. I don't know if Harbaugh wins the Big Ten this year. I don't even know if, you know, if he heck, he wins the Big Ten East. But I do know this. He has his team relevant. He has your school back in the national title talk. He's a top ten program. I don't know if you can ultimately get there with Nebraska. But I think you could consistently have them being a top 20 program with the right recruiting and the fact that you can keep Scott Frost and continue to build around him because they're really close. You watch those games. I haven't watched a game this year 
where I thought, you know what? Nebraska is woefully outmatched. They're woefully outcoached. They've been right there. They just haven't been able to convert it. Bobby Carpenter, our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at bcarp3. Uh, co-host for Outkick the Tailgate tomorrow morning, 9 o'clock Central, 10 o'clock Eastern. We go till noon Eastern. We'll be live at Calhoun's on the River in Knoxville for Tennessee and Georgia. And, and before we see you tomorrow, Bobby, your thoughts on Tennessee's offense, one of the top in the country, against the top defense in the country. And the question of, can, can Tennessee score 20-plus points and actually make Georgia's offense have to do something because they haven't had to do anything under any type of stress this season? I believe Georgia has given up like 13 or 14 points twice. Once was the Kentucky uh, most recently. And no one's sitting there looking at Kentucky's offense and writing home about it. This up-pace offense, you know, you look at what it did to Bama, it can give you some trouble. It can give you some issues. And as good as Georgia is up front, their secondary is solid. But they get bailed out a little bit, I think, by having such a great front seven and great rush. And so the one thing that can negate a great rush, up-tempo. You wear out defensive linemen. You wear out blitzing linebackers. They don't have the juice. And if you're able to get that first first down on a drive and start running downhill where you don't sub, you just keep going, then all of a sudden you get to see how your defense operates under pressure because Georgia's defense doesn't play that many plays. They do a great job of getting three and outs. Georgia will salt the game away running it. You know They'll pound it, pound it, bust the big one every now and then, but they don't have to do too much. And so if you can keep them on the field, if you can expose them to 70, 80, maybe even 90 plays, I think you'll be able to have some success. I don't, I don't think Tennessee wins this game, but I do think Josh Heupel's offense, how he's going to run it, if he can start to get that initial first down, they call them drive starters. If you have a great play that can go out and get you 11 yards, all of a sudden you're moving the chains, the defense is walking backwards, you're running downhill. I will say this, I think this is the first team against Georgia that scores more than 20 points. Mm. I don't think they win the game, and I'm not even sure if they cover but I will say I believe that they'll be the first team to score 20 points against this great defense. That's going to be a game that lives up to the hype then, if that's the case. Looking forward to previewing that with you and much more tomorrow morning. See you in Knoxville tonight. Safe travels. It should be a fun one, guys. I'm excited. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. Always great catching up with him each and every Friday. You can read his work at outkick.com. Uh, friend of the show and VFL, Ball for Life Grant Furking, about to join us. Wide receiver for the Vols, NILU for On3 Sports and much more. Grant joins us next on Outkick 360. Glad you're with us across the Outkick network. Crew is all here today and pleased to be joined by friend of the show, Grant Furking, Vols wide receiver. He's with NILU for On3 Sports. The, the man never stops working and because we're headed to Knoxville for Outkick the Tailgate, we had to chat with the Vols wideout, number zero, Grant Ferkin. Grant, how are you, buddy? How we doing, boys? Good to see you all again. You, you too, man. Uh, let's start with a little off-the-field thing. So tonight is Eric Church at Thompson Bowling Arena. Literally everyone in Knoxville is going to this, except for the football team, because you'll be at the hotel. Exactly. How much does right. that suck? Is this the one night where you're like, <laughs> I wish I could go it to is. this? Yeah. Because I think it's also the one night that everyone expects that I would probably be there. That's like my go-to guy. So, of, of course, the one night he decides to come to Knoxville, we're in a hotel. But, um, no, it should be awesome. What a great event to tee up the weekend. Um, Eric coming to town, a lot of special guests coming to the concert. I'm um, going to be there for the game tomorrow. So, just, uh, just a really exciting weekend here on Rocky Top. 
Grant, you've been at the forefront of all things NIL, and, and here we are now in November, and I remember talking to you before the season about you know the way things were going, what you expected with it, where it could go. Uh, has it met your expectations? Have things been a lot different than you expected, or is it pretty much what you thought would be happening with NIL right now? Yeah, you know, it, it really is a little bit of what I thought. I, I can't say that I really knew what it was going to do because for everyone, this is just such a new landscape and era that we're living in, especially, um, you know, being a college athlete while experiencing it and while also, um, you know, being on the business side of it too. Um, you know, you saw in July the, the you know, the massive influx of deals that came right in. And then, you know, August, September kind of came around and you kind of saw it taper off and you saw a local deal here with the pizzeria. You saw, you know, the the t-shirt company give a, a deal to a guy here and there. But you haven't really seen, you know, a huge push in massive brands going out connected with athletes. That's how I thought this year would play out through the end of 21. You got a lot of big brands, big companies coming right off of COVID year. Marketing probably isn't where they're throwing a lot of money right now. So I really thought, you know, 21 would kind of be a year of media coverage, hype, everyone's learning about it. You, you know, 22, there might be a lot more regulations that come into fact on, you know, capping out on what an athlete can make on a certain deal. So everyone's just kind of sitting back waiting. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for athletes or brands, but I really do think, you know, in, in 2022, you'll see a lot more um, donors and boosters of big time schools come together and kind of, crowdfund these uh, programs to, to support these athletes, whether it's them hanging out with the athletes on the side, doing appearances, dinners and stuff, or it's whether the businesses that they lead going and, and, you know, putting the money together to go do a, a marketing campaign with a team or a whole athletic program. Um, but I think 22 is going to be the year you see a lot of action going on. 21, you got a lot of people just sitting back waiting and kind of educating themselves on what this era is and what you can actually do with it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, I'm feeling like before this year, you making an appearance like this one without it being funneled through the sports information department would have been completely taboo. Um, If if that's the case, how has the sports information department and from your feeling sports information departments around the country adjusted to this new world where they don't have complete control over you guys and where you show up and what you say. Yeah, I think, you know, it it obviously varies from program to program. I know here at Tennessee, you know, there's no bad blood for us to walk down to, you know, Bill Martin and our, and our, you know, compliance office, communications office, whatever, and say, Hey, you know, I'm going to go do a podcast tonight with X, Y, Z, or I'm going to go on this show that, you know, whether they're paying them to do it, whether it's going on, everyone's all in it to, to be successful and, and want to be on the right track and the right side of it all. Um, so I don't think that, you know, not telling someone you're doing something or not getting it cleared. Um, I do think that, you know, if you weren't supposed to go talk to X reporter or the, you know, this network wasn't, you know, viewed favorably by the program, the athlete would probably already know that. And they'll probably just be in their best interest to avoid it. But I mean, we have guys on our team that go and do, you know, paid radio appearances, paid podcast interviews, and, you know, they, they go and clear it with our SID and whether, you know, it's getting approval or not, just letting them know and keep them in the loop. And, and at very least, you know, the university can support them. They can, uh, you know, promote it and tell them, hey, this event's going on here, you know, Vol Nation, go out and support it. You know, they can't find the deal for them, but 
you know, when the university is kept in the loop and all the resources the university has, you know, it only, you know, benefits you to go and, and loop them in and, and get all the support and resources and fans out there to go and, and make it a big event for you as well. Grant, uh, we've only got 30 seconds left, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, if and, and when Tennessee wins tomorrow and Neyland yes. and the field is stormed, I'm coming to find you, yes. and we are taking a photo yep. together, and we're sending it to Chad, who can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, and then and then we're going to walk all the way down goalposts and hand to Cumberland Avenue. <laughs> Good plan. It's, uh, uh, I'm with you. I'm with it's, you. It's winning time. I'll, I'll be happy and, if that and, happens, and regardless of where gonna, I am. And Chad's not even going to be there. Yeah, no, I'll, be mean, sta- yeah I'll be standing up at a wedding we'll at Bellmead Country Club, probably <laughs> uh, having a mint julep <laughs> at the reception at that yeah. point. Hutton and I will have no problem uh, <laughs> having some fun for you. Trust me. Grant, thank Enjoy you, buddy. It, Good Grant. luck. See you tomorrow. Hey, see y'all. All Safe right. travels. Grant Verking has been our guest. Always great catching up with him. Uh, best of luck to him and the Vols as they prepare for Georgia tomorrow. We, we're headed into the final hour. Speaking of the Vols, VolQuest joins us next. Brent Hubs, Austin Price. Christmas time. The X's and uh, O's game plan next.